Hello, and welcome to The Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I got a haircut, in case I sound different. Um, I, I got the Peaky Blinders haircut. Uh, okay, I'm Luke, and I have not had a haircut since January 2014, so I'm not going to start I now. I feel like every time I do the haircut bit, I, f we do, we've, I think, okay, I, I think I'm going to officially retire the I have a haircut bit. Okay. Do I do the same joke every time? Because I can't remember. I think we both do the same joke every time. I do like, in case wow. I sound different, I have a haircut. And you're like, <laughs> I don't have a haircut because I've never had one. It's so, cool that we can both do both our podcasts and our friendship without really thinking about it. It's just like, exactly. yeah, sure, whatever. Like, yeah. I'm not going to engage, I'm not going to engage any energy or, or intelligence in this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do the thing. It's fine. We are full on autopilot in case you're wondering if we are going on a break next week. Okay. Let's jump into it. Actually, you tell the people what we're doing this week. So this week we have we have for a very long time been kind of like throwing off various comments, of which some of our audience will get, some of our audience will uh, think we're crazy, and some of our audience uh, will ignore because I assume they listen to us while they're doing something more interesting. Um, the dishes, I assume. Yeah, uh, but one of the things we wanted we want to do is we talk a lot about kind of the last the history of the last it's about the last seven or eight years of the viral internet. Which is, is mainly Facebook. Uh, like there is other bits of it, but it's mainly Facebook. That's where the volume is. And what we want, what we've talked about a, a bunch is doing basically a history of the internet as told through this one social media analytics blog, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds incredibly esoteric, but I think actually, uh, I'm talking about this. I, I'm pretty sure John Herman wrote about this at the all in like 2015. I think you're saying right. like, you can see the contours of the internet through this one blog and you can see everything. Yeah. What year are we starting at? We're starting, we're starting because I think the, all of the, the blogs since pre February 2014 have been deleted. We're starting at February 2014, but I also think that's, that's right when it gets interesting. That is true. We're going to skip all like the random stuff. It's, it's in, it's, it's in, in media reyes, but it's, yeah. We're right at the beginning of our story. We're skipping the prologue. Okay. Yeah. Luke, ask me how the internet was this week. Oh, I had a word for this and everything. Ryan, how was the internet this week? Oh, uh, wow. Uh, I didn't know, uh, I didn't know how to respond <laughs> to this. Um, I'm going to say the internet is restless. Uh, over here was Labor Day, which kind of splits up this week in a strange way. So I'm, I'm going to say like restless and people are like, not sure if they should be outraged over things or if, oh, I, and you know what I think is the best example is the John Mulaney discourse. I feel like that's a very good example of like where the national zeitgeist is at the moment. Okay. This is interesting because the word I was thinking of was indignant. I feel like the internet has been very indignant. It's been very happy to get hot on things that it does not need to get hot on but i think it's going through the motions i i because i feel like okay i see that. like like the john mulaney thing like yes a lot of people with verified twitter brain are like having meltdowns about john mulaney's 
relationship or something with Olivia Munn or whatever. Ex- explain that. No, hang on. You're going to have to, if you're going to do the John Mulaney thing, you've got to explain the John Mulaney thing. Okay. I will do it. I'll do it. John Mulaney is a comedian. And John Mulaney's whole like bit for a long time was being kind of like the comedy equivalent of like a Tumblr sexy man. Like he would wear suits on stage and he would make like very smart, polite comedy. And he kind of like had a public persona of like a little boy that became an adult man via a magic spell. He also came up with a bit that we've used multiple times on here of the horse in the hospital. That's right. That's right. Uh, he, he, he did make that bit up and he, and he, he is good. I like him. He's a good writer. He's funny. And, uh, a large part of his like character, like the John Mulaney character was that he like was a wife guy. John Mulaney like had a wife who was very talented at like interior design and Tumblr loves that shit. And people with Tumblr brains love that shit. And then he went to rehab, but it turns out he had some pretty serious addiction issues that he needed some help with. Which, which was true. He has, to be fair, he has spoken about on stage. And then he got a divorce. Of course, of course. Of course, of course. And then it came out that he was dating the actress Olivia Munn, and, who apparently wrote about how she's attempted to break John Mulaney up with his like wife a lot and is like obsessed with John Mulaney. Anyways. Also, she... also he's in the newsroom. So like this is this is a very us story all around. No, she plays Sloane in in America's yeah. greatest TV show, The Newsroom. And then uh, the end of the story is that it came out uh, yesterday, I guess, or two days ago, this week at some point, that Olivia Munn was pregnant with John Mulaney's kid. He announced it. He announced it on a late night show. Oh, on TV? Yeah, he announced it on live TV. So yeah, I have no idea what happens on TV. I only experience culture through trending topics now. <laughs> and then everyone got really upset because they all stared at images too long once again of John Mulaney this time and have projected a lot yeah they shared they stared they stared specifically at the 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 images of the the, the, the screen grabs on Tumblr of his stand up where he says he has a wife <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and they're like well this is the this is reality now it is it is a cargo it is a cargo cult but purely for John Mulaney this is it. This is, uh, I found a really good tweet about this actually. Oh, I'll read it, but it was deleted, but I found a screenshot and it's a very good screenshot. So it's a tweet from a user named Roman Royko and it reads, any male celebrity who is not openly misogynistic or otherwise horrible attracts a really weird parasocial fan base that ultimately turns on him when they realize that people are not fictional characters. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. It's really hard. It's really hard to kind of, come back at that in any way that is not that is absolutely true that is precisely what's happening yeah um and like i would say like if you don't want this to happen to you like if you were like ooh, i want to not be in john mulaney's shoes right now i feel like a lot of it is just like don't wear a suit in public (laughs) (laughs) i haven't worn a suit in in like five years so yeah, yeah like don't be a skinny man that wears a suit because if you are like a skinny, polite man who's obviously white and you're in a suit, like weird Tumblr people will become obsessed with you and then dismantle your life when you don't line up to all of the weird fan fiction that they start writing about you. Yeah, I hated, I hated Benedict Cumberbatch for a very long time because he was a skinny man in a suit. Uh, yes. And having seen him more things, like, you know, he's had his extremely problematic moments, but he also seems fine, basically. He seems like a very normal posh man. Yeah. Which is that, like, I'm sure he's, like, a good time, but also, like, 
has deranged opinions on things. He has the normal level of mental illness for a, a posh white British man. Exactly. He's the, he's, he, yeah. But like, don't be a skinny white guy in a suit with a nice haircut or freaks on the internet will, uh, latch onto you and then go insane when your life, uh, alters in a way they don't like. Uh, speaking of parasocial relationships, my personal hero, the, <laughs> the beacon of my life, Geronimo the alpaca died last week. And I heard <sighs> on Twitter today that there's a chance that Geronimo didn't have tuberculosis and didn't need to be destroyed by the government. Well, well, so it is more complicated than just Geronimo did not have TB. And let's be clear. Let's be clear. If someone, if someone is working that hard to make their alpaca famous, their alpaca needs to die for the sake of the world. Luke, do you believe that Geronimo was the victim of cancel culture? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was cancelled for having a, a deadly disease that would. I believe that he was the target of an online witch hunt, and then he was cancelled into death. <laughs> That's what I believe happened to Geronimo the alpaca. That sounds correct. He was cancelled into death, but so so <laughs> basically, we haven't followed the story. The gist is, and we're recording this on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to lie; it may have moved on. Anything could change in the Geronimo news cycle because. You know, we're now finding out that this alpaca might not have even had tuberculosis and needed to be destroyed, so anything could happen now. Oh, no, there's been an update since then. Oh. So, at about 1 o'clock today, uh, it was announced that Geronimo the alpaca did not have tuberculosis in a statement from the alpaca's owner. What? However, however it was a statement from the alpaca's owner, uh, and... Realistically, the alpaca's owner has not been the most trustworthy source of information about the alpaca throughout the entire entire alpaca saga. Is this fake news? No, mm, we don't know yet. Is this so, wow? So a few hours. Well, actually, it wasn't even a few hours. It was literally like forty minutes later. Which, considering the government took like six weeks to figure out how to get people out of Afghanistan while it was falling to the Taliban, uh, the fact they took like forty minutes to figure out what was happening to the alpaca was impressive. But broadly, the government then said, "Okay, so." The tests that we have done suggest that there are lesions consistent with tuberculosis in there. And the alpaca's owner, Helen McDonald, appears to interpret, have interpreted that as there are lesions, there aren't lesions that are confirmed to be tuberculosis in there. But you're saying Which there's a chance. We think. Exactly. We think. And the thing is, is they're both arguing. Everyone's having a fight. No one's totally sure. But that is kind of the gist of where we're at. Wow. Uh, the government says that it could still have tuberculosis. The owner says it definitely doesn't have doesn't have tuberculosis, and they're pr neither of them are probably right yet. But yeah, wow. hopefully we call it innocent alpaca because I just think the alpaca should die. I know you've been very anti Geronimo, but I believe in free speech, and I believe <laughs> that the woke mob shouldn't be given. <laughs> the blood that they need for their outrage. And so I just want to make sure that any patriot in any country like Geronimo can uh, be safe. So I'm just, I'm just, it's very hard not to think that, you know, it's just good that Geronimo's dead. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of the UK and all of the various issues that your country has, we should talk about the Judith Butler thing. We should, we should. Um, do you want to start with your explanation of it? Because I suspect the explanation of it has evolved again since then. Yeah, sure. So, okay. Um, the Guardian yesterday published a story, uh, 
that was an interview with uh, Judith Butler, who is a uh, gender theorist and philosopher. She's very well known. And in the uh, in the interview, she condemned the gender critical anti trans movement and referred to them as their acronym, which is TERFs, trans exclusionary radical feminists. Um, and I have a I have a quote here from it that I pulled out. The TERFs will not be part of the contemporary struggle against fascism, one that requires a coalition guided by struggles against racism, nationalism, xenophobia, and carceral violence, one that is mindful of the high rates of femicide throughout the world, which include high rates of attacks on trans and genderqueer people. Uh, and she goes on to be extremely explicit about the anti-trans movement uh, being connected to neo-fascism. And then... After that quote started to trend on Twitter, The Guardian, shockingly, I, th I truly think this is shocking, went into that piece and removed those quotes. And then that started trending on Twitter, screenshots of it via the Streisand effect. And there was an update put in there at one point saying that basically something had happened after it was published, but didn't explain what that was and that they had to edit it. But then that update was removed as well. And it, it looks to me, at least from the outside, like the UK editorial board for The Guardian just like was like, no, and yanked it out. So you're correct about most of that. However, Vice have reported this out, and the explanation is slightly different. The official Guardian explanation is that the question that she was responding to was about the, uh, the Wii Spa in LA, which was obviously a very controversial incident that happened uh i must admit it was a few months ago now but broadly speaking um there was a viral video of a woman insisting that she had seen a trans man slash trans uh, abuser within the in the in the, the facility who was there in order to harass women uh it turned into a really strange and unpleasant viral phenomenon where basically proud boys and other far right elements grouped together with 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 uh anti trans activists in order to yeah to protest it and also to create a viral moment that <laughs> was extremely negative towards trans people um, right it's really troubling if people were trans however, the latest on that story is that someone was in fact arrested uh it is not clear what their uh, at signed at birth gender was there is still a lot of information out there that is very woolly but it does appear that there was an inciting incident that did happen and there was an all then an awful lot of reporting that there was no such incident and it then became the situation that there was a protest there was an incident none of this seems to match up to what everyone thought it was but something did happen that last bit of information the idea that there was in fact someone arrested for this and there was a real incident was the thing that came out that prompted the Guardian to remove that question, or that question, and more specifically the answer, because the question itself referred to this instance at the Wii Spa. I'm calling it Wii Spa. It may not be pronounced that way. <laughs> no, no, no it's, it's, it's the Wii Spa. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. I th wait. Now I think I, I think it is. Um, like I said, I only experience culture through trending, trending topics, so I've never heard it spoken sure. out loud. Um, so wait. So you, what you're saying is basically like there was like kind of a viral, like, half-hoax kind of thing that prompted that answer from Butler, but because it was predicated on something that was, like, not exactly nailed down, they removed it. Yeah, that was exactly it. Now, one thing I think it's worth pointing out is, like, Judith Butler, as far as I know, has not commented on this, so 
her version of would she have given a, diff a different answer had the information changed is not known. If I were editing this or running this, I would not have made the change, but I may have introduced an editor's note at that point to say, hey, this information has changed, it's been disputed, like, but we're leaving it here for the for the important context because, you know, it's, it's still not nothing. Like, even if the true information that, that there was a trans person harassing people within we Spa, which is the most extreme version of what has been explained and does not really seem to match up to what has happened, although someone has been charged with it, then what Judith Butler had responded to that question was not necessarily incorrect because the question was about the alliance between uh, anti-trans feminists and the very far right, the Proud Boys and their ilk, which does not change because of whether or not it's real or not, weirdly. This is so fishy. I'm sorry. I This is so... Like, this is so weird that I can barely even understand what the issue is. Yeah, I, do, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I think it is, it is really important to point out, like, I think there are a lot of other instances in which people would have, at The Guardian and The Guardian themselves, would have gone like, eh, we'll just stick with it. And I think the fact that they have... they I feel like... From the outside, with absolutely no insight knowledge, it feels like they have found a useful excuse to get rid of something that they didn't like. Wait, hold on. I want to. I want. I need to sit for like one second. And I need to read this whole statement from the Guardian because I'm. I'm actually genuinely. I'm, this isn't a bit. I'm having trouble wrapping my head around what is what has actually happened here. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Oh. Oh, that's okay. Hold on. Now that I have, I have this whole picture. This is even more bullshit than I thought it was. So <laughs> she basically, Gleason, the, the writer, the interviewer was like, there seems to be an alliance between feminist movements and far right campaigns. And the Wee Spas are a good example. And then a bunch of, I would assume, turfs mass emailed the Guardian being like, oh, actually, here's like a very, very like small way to disprove the idea that like, feminists were part of the we spa incident oh that's so that's such a turf move like the techno like to find like a technicality to like undo the whole thing and remove the section that like obviously is the most damning for their demented like m ideology oh this is ridiculous sorry Th i didn't see this this is wild and ridiculous yeah it is gonna it's gone a lot further than oh god i mean it's, it, it is classic strides in fact where they feel like because they've had dozens of emails and it was always like oh it's hundreds of emails it's not there was a really good thread kicking around on twitter this week about someone who basically dug into the one of the big uk trends uk anti-trans trends and basically just determined that it was like 44 accounts that did it like you don't you don't even need right. any accounts to do it anymore um which is one of the weaknesses of, of how twitter's trends algorithm now works but having done this uh kind of campaign against them they sent enough emails that the guardian got spooked and changed it but then also attempted to find a uh, basically a technicality of why they changed it and why they removed it that's what it reads like to me it reads like they found a technicality to remove the thing they wanted to remove so basically what they're saying is the guardian removed a comment from judith butler which was referring to the we spa incident because the protests and the anti-trans rhetoric that was drummed up because of the we spa incident was initially based on this idea that a trans woman had exposed herself in the spa and upset cisgendered women in the spa. It turns out, though, that the person at the sort of the center of this incident is someone who 
is a sex offender, a registered sex offender, and has a history yeah. of indecent exposure charges. In the midst of that frenzy, it did create like a massive manifestation of anti-trans and fascist protesters. And that's what Judith Butler was referring to. What were, sorry, by accounts, the interview was done. The interview was done and written and kind of like in the system before those new events happened and no one went back to change it before it got published. Exactly. Which is an editorial failure, but it's not quite the same thing. But then changing it after it's published is a whole different sort of editorial failure. And also, like, no, no American reader would even, like, like, that is such a, that is such, like, to me, that screams British editor. Like, I'm sorry, there's just no way that, like, uh, yeah. I, I feel like I need to point out that the Proud Boys are American. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, I'm saying that concern about that editorial change. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that is, that is crazy and annoying. Um, and I feel like we should put out here that, like, in 2018, uh, staff members of the Guardian US wrote an editorial like condemning the transphobia that was coming from the Guardian UK. So like that sort of puts a lot of this in perspective. Also worth pointing out, we've been using she, her pronouns for Judith Butler. Uh, in the article, she talks about pronouns and, and sort of how she's been thinking about them and how they work with gender fluidity. For ease, we've been using she, her, but in the article, I'll, I'll read what, what Judith Butler says, which is, I still rather think that pronouns come to me from others, which I find interesting, uh, which is Butler kind of describing how like gender is inherently based on the perceptions of others and being perceived. Yeah. So um, I'm always somewhat surprised and impressed when people decide their own pronouns or even when they ask me what pronouns I prefer. I don't have an easy answer, though I am enjoying the world of they. When I wrote Gender Trouble, there was no category for non-binary, but now I don't see how I cannot be in that category, which is obviously huge and yeah. kind of sad that like this entire bullshit has overshadowed Judith Butler publicly sort of talking about how she, how they think of themselves. Because back when Judith Butler was writing this sort of stuff, there was no even concept of, of they, them pronouns, which I think is super cool. So yeah, it's a complicated story. Uh, it is feel, feel like uh, a lot of better things could have been done here. <laughs> from, from However, start to finish. it probably links to the next thing that we need to talk about, which is uh, ivermectin. Oh yeah, uh, I've been taking it. I'm on the paste. Uh, <laughs> I I have to I have to shit every five minutes. But uh, we really we really timed our ivermectin episode out because uh, things really hit the fan over the weekend with that. They did. They really did. And I mean, to be honest, though, I I feel like the big one is to start with is the the other fake story. Oh, with uh, the Oklahoma hospital? Yeah. Yeah, man, this story's a mess because – so you you want to you take it? You want to explain what, what happened here for people who might not know? Yeah, so uh, essentially what happened is a local news uh, – website. I, I don't know if it's a website and TV station. All American news TV stations are also websites for some reason. Uh, they kind of did a story where they spoke to a doctor uh, and – he said, or, or sorry, they reported that he said that ivermectin overdoses were uh, pushing their uh, ER beyond capacity. Uh, it was picked up by a bunch of other places, you know, all the reputable places, all the non-reputable places, and it was kind of like the, I can't believe so many people are taking horse dewormer that they are uh, like overrunning ERs. What it then turned out to be the case was that that's not really what the doctor said. The doctor said that they were overrun by issues, like just general issues of uh, illness and sickness and accident and gunshots, because it's America, um, 
but one of the things they were specifically overrun by was COVID. But another thing that they had seen cases of was ivermectin. Ivermectin wasn't the thing that was making up the, the, the num a large number of the cases. It wasn't making a majority or even a plurality of the cases. It was just a, another thing that had happened a few times. Right. And they kind of mentioned that. That then kind of, that fact then took a while to filter out. But broadly, it seems like people were taking ivermectin to an, to an extent that requ- that made them overdose. Uh-huh. Um, but it was not to the extent that it was kind of a, you know, overrunning ERs with people dying from horse dewaller. Okay, right. Is my understanding of it. It may have moved on in the last hour. <laughs> no, that was my understanding as well. It also, it, most people sort of like stopped fighting about the validity of it. And now it's become like a meta argument about like the nature of truth, um, at least on Twitter. I did, I did really enjoy that there was someone going around who was tweeting that the main problem was that city elites didn't understand that people in the country constantly took medicine that was designed for animals because it was all that was available. I saw that. I saw the guy being like, actually, poor people take animal medicine all the time. And you, <laughs> yeah, you're arrogant if you don't acknowledge that, which I don't think is true. Tell me you've never, tell me you've never been rural poor without telling me you've never been rural poor. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I know, I know a good amount of people who don't live in cities and, I don't think any of them have ever taken horse medicine. Well, ketamine. What? <laughs> ketamine. Oh, they've taken ketamine. Yeah, I know a lot of people have taken ketamine, but I mean, yeah. I guess that's horse. Yeah, that's technically horse <laughs> if medicine. If we're looping ketamine in with this, it's a different conversation. Totally different. And also, most of the people yeah. taking ketamine, I know, don't live in the, in the rural areas. They live in No, the they cities. live in Dalston. Yeah, most most people taking horse medicine, I know, live in cities, actually, if you're going <laughs> to include ketamine. Um, so what I would say, though, with all of this, is that, like, I... I don't think misinformation can be solved and I don't think it could ever be solved. And I think there is like a really weird thing right now where a lot of people who work in digital media assume that the rest of the country is obsessed with digital media as they are. And so like, do I think that there are people taking horse medicine to fight COVID because they saw it on Facebook? Absolutely. Do I think it's like a sizable amount? Yes. Do I think it's because of the internet? I think Fox News probably does a bit better job. And then they creates, as we've talked about in our episodes before, like a never ending loop where people just like get stuck in this, like this, this thing. Right. But I also think that like, there are a lot of people who like read a story about whatever being not, and it's not real. And like, they just move on with their lives. And I also think that like, they probably believe fake shit they hear at bars or restaurants from their friends much more than they see on the internet. Yeah. I I mean, I think, I think the biggest problem with the internet is that it it creates rabbit holes and it becomes much easier to fall in them. That's not true. It doesn't create more rabbit holes. It creates wider rabbit holes. The opening of them is bigger. Because, you know, if you are at a bar and you hear someone say a wild thing about how uh, the government is making, uh, making you have vacuum cleaners because they control your brain secretly or whatever. Right. You hear that in a bar and you're like, that's a dumb guy in a bar. And you walk home and you forget about it. Uh, but now you hear that in a bar and you're like, well, that seems dumb. And then you walk home and then you check your, your, the internet and you're like, wow, there's a YouTube video on this. Wow, this seems pretty weird still. And then you're in. And then suddenly, you know, a few years later, you're walking around people's houses, breaking and smashing their vacuum cleaners. I mean, it actually goes both ways too. Like, for instance, I was in Mexico City and the Delta variant wave in America was getting really, really bad. And I was in my hotel room and I was like reading stuff on Twitter about it. And like, I started to genuinely freak out. I started to be like, Oh wow. Like this is really scary. I don't know 
Like what's going to happen? And then finally I came across an article that was like, if, and I was scared for myself and I'm like, I'm vaccinated. Yeah. And then I came across an article that was like, Oh, the vaccination breakthrough is 0.01%. Yeah. But the, and I was like, Oh, okay. But the, like that was actually very hard to find. And I think that like there's, there's this thing that I, that I think has happened where a lot of people politically have decided what they believe first. And now that's sort of all anything has to line up with. So like, Liberals have to believe if you're a good liberal, you have to believe that COVID is terrible and that vaccines, you know, you, you can't ever go outside, even if you're vaccinated. And like, this is it. And like, this is how it is. Oh, no, no, no. So there's, there's a different vibe that I've been getting from America. Basically, people on the Republican side have said that COVID is not a big deal. They don't need to be vaccinated because it's not a big deal and they're not going to change the behavior from the pre pandemic, aside from like a few months when everything got a bit wobbly. Uh, and people on the Democratic side are saying COVID is a big deal, but the vaccines are magic, and I am now 100% protected, and I will never have to worry about it again. Both of those people are wrong. Oh, no, I'm seeing a totally other thing. My experience is like basically people on what you would say the left or the liberal side being like, your vaccine did not work, and you can never go outside again. You are right. There are two camps, which is the Republicans, which is that COVID is not a big deal and you don't need to get vaccinated. Then there's the Democrats, which is like COVID is a big deal. And once you're vaccinated, all the poors can die and they deserve to die. And we should write endless news stories shaming their deaths. And this is super funny. The shaming of the death thing is wild. Yeah. People really love to do that right now. And that's usually happening more on like the left. That's like the more like the dirtbag left side. There's also a camp on the left side who are like COVID is real and your vaccine is worthless and you can never go outside again. And like those people are very vocal on Twitter. Unless you have ivermectin. No, no, no. And those people are very vocal on Twitter because Twitter is run by shut-ins. So like they're like I became very convinced while I was out of the country that like oh I just like can't come home because the Delta right. variant like I like like the my vaccine is worthless. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess in every country. It's a mess. It's a mess in our. It's a mess in our country. But yeah, it's, it sounds worse than yours. To put it all back together, basically, is like they're. There are a lot of people who are in the business of talking about misinformation and disinformation that believe that their opinions are objective. And that problem yes. is only getting worse the longer they do this kind of fact-checking work. And I think we will look back on this period of time in, a, in about 10 years or 20 years and be v hopefully very confused as to why we made fact-checking its own journalistic thing and also tied journalism to community moderation online, which in my mind should like should be like three different things. And I think it's very strange that we have like an entire branch of like reporting right now that is just like trying to find objective truth within like a news cycle, which is bizarre to me. And I think it actually makes things more confusing, to be honest. I mean, we should follow up on this by talking about this the history of the internet as told by Newswhip. Let's do this. Let's go into the history of the internet. This links very hard. All right, let's do it. So what we're going to do now is we are going to pick back through the last seven years of the internet based on the analysis that a single social 
media analytics company Newswhip does. And they publish it most months, not every month. Some months they've published and deleted, some months they, months they didn't publish at all. Uh, but they broadly go through and say, here are the most engaged pages, pages on Facebook, or rather the most engaged publishers on Facebook. And it is a genuinely fascinating way to look at how the internet has changed over the last, well, the last seven years, actually, uh, and explain why we're in this situation where different people believe different things about the vaccine. Uh, we're going to go back to 2014 first. Uh, and yeah, we have some issues with this list, one of which being many of the actual images in it have disappeared because right. the internet degrades in that sort of way, which means you look at a page from seven years ago and now it doesn't exist anymore or doesn't exist in a usable way, which in itself is 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 a really fascinating artifact of the internet. Um, I want to talk about June 2014. Okay, so you want to start with June 2014. Let's do I this. do, I do. Okay, so what jumped out, what jumped out at you here? What jumped out at me is that uh, it's fascinating that the two top sites are BuzzFeed and Huffington Post as both of those sites are now one company and a long way down on the list, this this list. The other thing that jumped out at me here is there's a particular, there's a paragraph here where it explains that Elite Daily finally broke into the top 10 most shared, which is, I mean, that's powerfully retro. The idea that Elite Daily is one of the top 10 most shared websites on Facebook is kind of astonishing. It's funny, like, I remember the Elite Daily age, and yet yeah. it feels very long ago and and also very different from like yeah. I, I, I the other day i was actually wondering i was like where are all the people who used to read elite daily like where are all the people from new jersey <laughs> and long island who like live in the shit parts of manhattan in their early 20s on family money like where do they look at content now and i guess it's like dime square tiktok stuff <laughs> yes oh, they're, exactly they're on tiktok like they right. were never loyal to the site; they were loyal to the kind of the time wasting element of it. Those people are going to be the first people you lose when they no longer have to read. <laughs> yes, they are. Like Elite Daily's audience was only reading because they had to, because there was no other way to consume Elite Daily content. So, okay, interesting. What's also fascinating about this particular month is that it is the switch from uh, Viral Nova to Playbuzz. Uh, Playbuzz, my favorite viral website run by, I think, the Israeli military. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was not run by. It was just, it was just heavily influenced by it. Yes, right. It, um, Playbuzz. We we knew one person who went to work there, and I, they might still work there. Actually, I'm not sure. I'm now I'm curious what pay, what Playbuzz looks like in 2021. Oh, it's still happening. It's still going. It looks. Um, I mean, they 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 kind of figured out, and they don't actually appear in these lists anymore. But they they shifted to a model where they basically relied on embedding their quizzes and other people's content rather than trying to be successful on their own but they did still produce quizzes that were created you know by staff that were named things like what idf infantry unit would you be in <laughs> but this particular shift so what's also in this list is the fact that viral nova have has dropped out of the top 25 for the first time in, in, in months. And this was uh, June 2014. And what actually happened here was that people had figured out how to gain the Facebook algorithm, algorithm with quizzes. And they figured out that basically Facebook had set its algorithm up to work in a way that meant if you shared something, it was much, much more, it was, it was considered more important than if you liked something or commented on something. Right. So what we saw here was Viral Nova, which was initially a like 
sort of site. Like it was, it was fun viral con. It was fun. I, would, I don't want to say clickbait because it wasn't quite that, but it was pretty damn close. It was very clickbaity, and their thing was very much everyone just liked it, and then quizzes hacked that because they said no this is what happens when you share something and it totally overtook it and this was the shift this month was the shift from click on something and engage with it versus share something and shares took over and as a result yeah facebook then eventually had to change their algorithm because it was too powerful yeah this is so interesting it's like and and it's it's a thing that like is now so part of the dna of digital media and an assumption like like everyone knows now that like if you make a thing that lets people express some kind of identity that they share with others, it will do yeah. well. And like that was just not in the vocabulary. It was not in the like the 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 understanding of publishing yet until June 2014, which was incidentally the summer we met. It was. It was. This is very much the tale of how the internet got worse ever since we met. That is true. That that is what this episode <laughs> is about. So wait, where are we going next? Yeah. All right, so next we're going to go to December. December 2014. Okay, here we uh, yeah, go. December 2014. Now, this is very interesting for a few different reasons. Uh, number one, PlayBuzz, still the biggest thing. Uh, we are, we are trying to, we are, we are struggling a little bit with this because I say the images have disappeared. So we've kind of got to guess at what they're saying from the words. Uh, and obviously we don't really like reading words. That's a bit. I hate reading words. Yeah, it's awful. Um, but broadly going through, yeah. PlayBuzz is number one, is the most shared thing because they figured out the, the, the quizzes thing. HuffPo and BuzzFeed, again, are not uh, are top two. What I think is really interesting about this, though, is that New York Times are starting to nudge the edge of this list. Because New York Times, now, I think, I, I think when we get to the end of this, we'll discover that they are one of the more heavily shared websites. But during this era, they obviously weren't doing this kind of bait, but there was something bubbling under of what they were trying to do and then figure out how to work on Facebook with the kind of scale that they had. Um, but yeah, and then other stuff. There's also a bunch of uh, British tabloids in there. The Mirror does very, very well in this era. The Mirror really figured it out from the UK uh, to the extent that the newswhips have to start breaking out basically British tabloids. Yeah. Uh, so they've got kind of like, yeah, the Express, the Independent, the Mirror, they're all there, um, which, yeah, I think also is very, very interesting. Here's another weird little thing here. So in the the one we just looked at, the June 2014, we had Fox News in the charts and we had The Blaze yes. making some gains. Then in this one, though, we have we have sort of like your traditional big conservative websites. But there's also a name that is really fascinating here, which is the Conservative Tribune, which is just like a random it's a it's like a random right wing news site that's owned, I think, by Western Journal. Yeah. I don't I mean I don't think it exists anymore. Or, or it doesn't exist at any sort of scale. No, it oh it does. I'm 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 on it. It's big. It's um it's real big. And I've come across them before. They were pretty they like they're pretty active in like conservative propaganda and misinfo. And they currently have four million likes on facebook but it is interesting that like by the end of 2014 we are starting to see like the randos show up like this is yeah. the beginning of like the gateway pundit era because this would be like right when that switch was happening no 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 so this is like before that switch because if you... no but i'm saying they're like a big they're the beginning they're yeah oh they're the green shoots but at this point facebook knew how to deal with them because if you go to the january 2015 one the conservative tribune drops to 22nd 
okay, wait, we're, we're now a month ahead. We're one month ahead. So this is this is yeah. the January 2015. Oh, they refer to they refer to Elite Daily as newly acquired and linked to the. I forgot about this. Elite Daily was acquired yeah. by the Daily Mail in uh, in was. 2015, 2014. So yeah, Conservative Tribune drops. Oh my God, from eighth to twenty second. That's crazy. Yeah, but this is where this is where it really starts to get interesting. Because I say this, I feel like our listeners are going to be like, why are you reading out news analytics? But that's not the point. Um, the next one, which is June 2015. Wait, 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 wait. There's, there's one more line in here that I think okay. is very, is very important. Okay. Publishers are tentatively toying with the idea of hosting content directly on Facebook. See the videos of Vox or BuzzFeed while social news distributor Now This last week completely did away with on-site content, instead telling visitors today the news lives where you live. I can't believe that was 2015. I can't believe Now This did this that in 2015. So January 2015, Now This gets rid of their website and digital publishers start experimenting with a revolutionary idea, which is publishing content directly to Facebook. That's... That's like watching. <laughs> that's like watching like the Hindenburg take off. <laughs> it's like it's like seconds. It's like photos taken seconds before disaster. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Exactly. It was like, hey, there's been a new success here. Wow. Okay. So where where are we going next from here? All right. So we're gonna go to June, and I want you to remember the conservative thing, uh, because we will come back to that. Okay. But most interesting here is that. In the top 10 this month are two sites, Little Things and Diply. Wow. So, yeah, Little Things, they're still going, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Let's see. No, no, In 2018, they shut down. I'm on they it right now. No, no, they came back. But oh. in 2018, they shut down as a victim of the Facebook algorithm. Oh, that's right. I remember this. Yeah. They lost, like, all their traffic, right? Yeah. they um, It put 100 people out of work. The algorithm change that happened that year uh the president said killed 75 percent of the site's traffic overnight wow which is one of those things which is absolutely insane like they, they figured out a way to hack the algorithm they were doing really well and then suddenly it moved and it valued different things and they lost it this is the moment in june 2015 when suddenly it's oh it's sort of working interesting also in this month uh the political site, the Conservative Tribune, um, racked up 3.7 million shares. Wow. Now, if we go to the next month, July 2015, which is one of the rare, the rare blog posts in this, on this website, uh, with a, with a, an additional element, uh, it says a Fox News surge, which is always a good sign. So, so in 20, in July 2015, Fox yes. News overtook BuzzFeed to become the first legacy media brand to crack the top two on Facebook. Yep. Sports sites also blew up that month. Yep. And wow. then further down, uh, after last week's Republicans debate, Fox are on track for another strong month. Uh, it's not just Fox who have been capitalizing with political news. In July, there seemed to be a stronger than usual representation of conservative publishers, including the Conservative Tribune, Breitbart, and Western Journalism. Oh, that's so scary. That's so yeah. scary. Wow. Okay. That was the moment. You know what's fascinating though? Yeah. The, in the, in the, in the, uh, June 2015 one, I noticed a line that I think is really important to look at when we're talking about the conservative shift the next month. Yeah. Check this out. The Washington Post had two big wins on Facebook in June. 
with their stories about the Charleston shooting. Ooh. So that's that's the Dylan Roof shooting. Yeah. The white supremacist terrorist. I think that is really chilling, to yeah. to be honest. That like we're like a couple months before this, at the beginning of this year, we're starting to see like random conservative websites beginning to like edge into Facebook top traffickers. Yeah. Then we have like one of the first 4chan to IRL white supremacist attacks of this era. And then the next month, Facebook is completely dominated by conservative publishers. That's that's so crazy to me that like yeah. that happened within the span of six months. And then by the end of that six months, Facebook was a conservative news machine. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, this is the sort of thing where we, this does not mean that Facebook was creating this. It means that Facebook was – I've always thought of Facebook in this era as an accelerant. Like it, it makes sense that as soon as everyone's like basically you come out of the 2014 midterms and then everyone's casting around for who do we run for president. Suddenly there was energy in the kind of Republican side on the conservative side and Facebook found that and accelerated it. I also think this is this is the moment that if they didn't want to do, if they wanted to stop it, if they wanted to change it. Yep. Like this this summer in, in 2015 could have been when that happened. But what I will go back to is like we were looking at these blogs then and i don't remember thinking that at the time no 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 i i I remember still very much struggling with the idea that 4chan was important socially yeah um dylan roof was was definitely a shift for me with that but that is wild to me that is absolutely that is absolutely crazy so where do we go next uh so next i think the last one is october 2015 uh, which October opens, 2015. Okay. Yeah. Which opens with the, the, uh, the bullet point conservative news publishers ranked prominently this month with Breitbart among the top 10 most shared publishers. Wait, though, like you skipped over the fact that the biggest story of this. So this, this is, I think this is going to start getting darker and darker with the further we go into this part of the, oh, yeah. of, of history, I guess. But Christopher Harper Mercer was, uh, Believed to have been connected to the incel subculture. He really, really admired Elliot Roger, the sort of first incel mass murderer. And there were reports that he was asking people their religion before shooting them, before killing them. So I feel like that's an important backdrop for everything we're about to dig into this month. It is. Now, the other half of what is listed on this thing is is conservative news published ranked prominently and then also topical news articles pertaining to current events of Halloween generate significant discussion. If you scroll down to the uh, the point where it says uh, Halloween topical content, it explains that little things did particularly well earning huge shares off of recipe videos including a video detailing how to make breakfast muffins, which is one of those things that is in context very bleak. It is really bleak. So the breakfast muffins video from Little Things was shared seventeen thousand times. Yeah, and then it lists a couple other like t- like recipe kind of videos that did well, like some like very shareable content. But directly <laughs> above that is a list of Breitbart articles. Yeah, <laughs> titled things like "Women Cry Foul" as Glamour magazine names Bruce Jenner Woman of the Year, actress Julianne Moore a ma- colon a majority of gun owners want more gun control. Jerry Brown signs bill that could let illegal aliens vote. Bernie Sanders colon gun manufacturers may need to be held liable for gun crime. Susan Rice blames climate change for conflict in Syria. The top three most commented pieces earned 
10,000 comments each. So yeah. you have you have Facebook publishers like little things being like here's how to make brownies and meanwhile Breitbart has 10,000 people commenting on their like hate share posts. And then the top Fox News post in the month was uh a police officer oh god Jesus Christ a police officer looting uh a veteran running with the American flag in the old glory cross cross country flag relay which helps raise money for veterans this is so grim and so fucked up like and uh, so let's we're, we're we're in this right now just so we can keep track of where we are we're in october 2015 if we spin yeah. back to our first place where we started with this june 2014 the data isn't really there but just to put in perspective of like how things looked in in december 2014 we have articles like a wall street journal article titled Eric Metaxas Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God. We have a Vanity Fair listicle called How Emma Watson Left Harry Potter Behind in 2014 and a Washington Post story about how Obama made December 26th a federal holiday for federal workers. Compare yeah. that to a year later, how dark things have become. Like, it's crazy how dark things have become. Yeah, It was like lists and quizzes and like... Everyone gets a new holiday and like Emma Watson talks about like not being Hermione anymore. And then it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's frightening actually to go a year later. It is, it is generally frightening, not least because I know that at the time we, we looked at this stuff and we did not notice it. I didn't. It was so subtle at the time that I didn't notice it. Yeah. Where do we go now? Well, I mean, what's most frustrating about this is that <laughs> the, um, um, next year is 2016, which, yeah, for a lot of reasons, is a big year. Uh, I think the most interesting month is probably June 2016. Okay, let's. Uh, so this is, you know, it's pre-Trump. Uh, there is a little bit of movement of algorithm stuff, but it's not real. Huffington Post is at the top. Uh, BuzzFeed is number two. Uh, gold.com, which also has been the, the, the underlying hero of all of this stuff. Gold.com has done great numbers. Uh, people still love football through all this stuff. Then when it starts to get into like specific stories have been successful, NBC's story, Hillary Clinton wore a $12,495 Armani jacket during a speech about inequality was one of the biggest stories on Facebook, uh, in June 2016. I mean, that's a killer, that's a killer story though. It's so good. That's a, that's a great story. And like, Wow. Okay. The money instantly is the number one thing. Like, if you if they just said an expensive Armani jacket, it wouldn't have worked. The fact that it was twelve thousand is why that worked. It's great. So yeah. Oh, interesting. This is the same month. Uh, BuzzFeed published the Stanford uh victim letter. Yeah. Yeah. Which got a lot of traffic. You got a lot of engagement. Like, this is one of those things where I remember at the time a bunch of BuzzFeed people kind of tweeted basically grabs of the traffic numbers which they intended to be like this is unreal like it's incredible how like resonant this is with people and everyone else read as we're bragging about our traffic numbers which i yeah. was incredibly unfair i it is unfair but also like 2016 don't don't tweet your traffic numbers <laughs> there was also just like so much bad blood towards publishers like buzzfeed at the time that like it was from like other now looking back on it, it's weird where it's like so, like because back in those days there was like this assumption that you could be a digital media outlet and be somehow different from the same forces that made 
sites like Vox or BuzzFeed do what they do. <laughs> so in those days, you could be like, yeah. oh, yeah, like that's so tacky, like sharing your traffic numbers. But now in 2021, like every site has to have quizzes and they have to have Netflix episode recaps and they have to have celebrity traffic and they have to have investigations. Like they're all the same website now. Yeah. In, t- in terms of the algorithm change, though, it-, it is worth pointing out what it was, which was it was a it was basically a boost for friends. So it, it was sort of the start of Facebook moving into more local sharing networks. So the algorithm would basically make stuff shared by your friends higher up in the newsfeed, which definitely did have an impact on on what people were publishing. It did. It did. Also, this was obviously the month of Brexit in the UK, uh, and it does highlight that the BBC did have just astonishing numbers on Brexit, which made sense at the time. Like, it was very emotional. Uh, the other really interesting thing <laughs> at this at this month is the uh when they were talking about like how many you what which publishers got shares one of the sites they highlighted is the financial times which said they got almost 22 percent of their interactions as shares uh but more specifically and what's really interesting is uh the site does allow a certain number of read for free articles via social media its approach is to ask new readers to pay one pound for monthly trials wow other publishers will be watching close to see whether it's a model that they can learn from that's amazing that's so weird yeah that's incredibly weird to read now yeah, a lot of this stuff is super weird. All right, where do we go now? We may have to go to December 2016 because December 2016. Basically, the 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 site the the blogs didn't get written every month, and they didn't get written for November 2016. And I'm pretty sure I can guess why. Now, December 2016 is fascinating because the number one site in December 2016 on the English language internet for shares is IndiaTimes.com. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't 100% know how that happened. But when you also go down that list, I believe instantly this was the point at which BuzzFeed withdrew itself from the Newsweek rankings. Uh, cause it did do it at some point around this point. I'm going to guess it was sometime before. Uh, but it means the top sites on Facebook in December 2016, you know, and as recently as June, it was still HuffPo, BuzzFeed. It was the big viral sites. The top five are India Times, NBC, Fox News, HuffPo, and then CNN. Uh, oh, you you know you know what might be explaining the India Times jump though here. What they note this, which is that India Times runs instant articles, so that's sort of like the AMP article for Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. N- the Newswhip blog thinks that, that it could explain the jump because India is a mobile first market, so you have just for the first time, you have a ton of users who can really fast load India Times articles right yeah. out of Facebook. That makes sense. Okay, I'm actually wrong. By the way, it, it turns out that this is the foot. We're now into the the period when the 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 tables have not disappeared through degradation of the internet. BuzzFeed was 12, New York Times was nine, BBC was eight. Um, so yeah, this was the point at which BuzzFeed dropped below the New York Times in terms of Facebook engagement. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting ones here. So like. Little Things is still there. Please Little Things is still here. NPR is up there. Board Panda is way down. And here, here's, re- here's something really interesting to me. At 25, at the very bottom, is OccupyDemocrats.com. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to get higher. Like, that has to there get was, higher. There was, hey, there was a lot of energy in December 2016. No, I know. I, but I think it's going to get higher as, like, the site gets more radicalized. Also, you have, like, the rise of the resistance starting. Yep. Look at what number 15 is, allkpop.com. I spotted that too. Yes. This is the real story of this, is the rise of K-pop. That is, that is so fascinating. Wow. Okay. This is also really f- interesting to me because you have 
you have what effectively were like the big beefy digital publishers of the pre-Trump era, which I would include Breitbart in that moving down the list. And then you start to see like the major publishers like Fox News, CNN, they've learned enough tricks like the Daily Mail. They've learned enough tricks from like the like the younger publications that now they're beating them at their own game by December 2016. It's 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 like, um, you know, it's like it's like Moneyball. Did you ever see the Moneyball movie or read the book? No, I, I, I don't watch sports movies. No, but okay. So basically the entire gist of it is, is that Brad Pitt is the general manager of the Oakland A's and the Oakland A's have no money, but they figure out how to beat the market by buying players smarter than everyone else. And they have one good season. They do really well. They nearly win the World Series. They don't. At which point everyone else goes like, oh, I see what you're doing. We have more resources. And now we're going to do that thing you were doing, but with more resources. Right. And so now right. everyone's beating the market. So now no one can beat the market. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm really terrified about (laughs) the rest of this. All right. We should probably go to January 2017 and then we can skip to the end of 2017. Because yeah, January 2017 was as as opened in one of, in a master, master for bit of understatement with a new US president. January 2017 was a big month for newsrooms. But also, this is interesting. No, in in January, no site within our top twenty five sites on Facebook had less than ten million engagements on their stories for the month. Yeah, we haven't really been talking about this, but the um, one of the things about this is that the numbers of this keep going up. Like the at yeah. this point, all of the 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 cumulative engagements for all this stuff is really really going up. Yeah, it's huge. Oh, I think is this. Uh, it's not the dossier, but this is this is the beginning of of the Russia Gate stuff too. Yes, this is the beginning of Russia Gate. Interesting. Okay, so let's go to the end of January 2017. Let's see where we are. Let's see where we're at. Yeah. So basically, the thing that happens now is that in early the first quarter of 2017, the Facebook algorithm changes, and the reason the Facebook algorithm changes is exactly what we've just been talking about it's because they have suddenly noticed that an awful lot of these very conservative very aggressive sites are suddenly doing very very well like this is this is this is the moment when we talk about the algorithm change all the other algorithm changes kind of fade in comparison to this so if you go to november 2017 so like properly jump on the end of the year once this has happened and as it kind of shakes out you can kind of really start to see like it's changed. Yeah, this is interesting. So basically, like in the top engaged sites on Facebook, digital publishers are gone. The yes. the 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 most digital friendly site in in like in that group. So I'll, I'll read it. So it's FoxNews.com, NewYorkTimes.com, NBC.com. Who we haven't mentioned, but they they kind of come out of the woodwork around 2015 and they begin to dominate Facebook in a way that is truly mind blowing. Yeah. Then we have the Daily Mail. We have the Hill.com, which I would say is the only digital publisher really in this group. Although I think the Hill is a, is the Hill a newspaper? I know Politico uh, has a. No, no, no. This is, this is the Nietzsche Zimmerman era of the Hill. Interesting. <laughs> Nietzsche Zimmerman, the viral traffic guy for Gawker, who used to run the Daily What? Okay. Beneath them, you have almost the exact same amount of engagement, cnn.com. Then you have huffingtonpost.com. Then you have obviously your random sports website, which is 247sports.com. <laughs> then you have Breitbart. 
and then you have India Times. It is so fascinating to me how like I don't read any of those sites. <laughs> like they're just the sites that like I don't like they're not publishers that I would be even thinking about working at. Like they're not even like that kind of thing. They're just like these massive. So by 2017, the end of 2017, the digital media boom. They all pivoted to video and then they fell off the rankings, basically. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of, I don't, I'm trying to figure out, have we skipped the pivot to video? Was the pivot to video not, I mean, it must have been this year, mustn't it? I, I This is the end of it. So the, yeah. when when we were talking about like how sites, like little things were doing, like the, the muffin stuff, I think what's really fascinating is that like all of that wasn't really, like they were producing a lot of video, but it was it, it wasn't enough to really register in the news web rankings. But basically, the way that I think of the little things thing is, uh, it's the cartoon of the for a brief moment we may have destroyed the world, but for a brief moment we create a lot of uh, value for shareholders. Uh, it's the we may have achieved absolutely nothing, for, but for a brief moment we will share a lot on Facebook. You know, you got to burn bright, and then you die, and pivot to video, and everyone gets laid off. So wait, yeah. where uh, where where do we go now? Um, I'm just trying to think. I think maybe the most interesting one is July 2018. And July 2018 is really important because I believe this is the first entry at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of a very important site. I see what you see. I <laughs> yeah. notice it. So I'm going to read down the list of top publishers for tw- for for July 2018, and I'll stop where I think you're stopping. Foxnews.com, yep. CNN.com, yep. Daily Mail, BBC, NBC.com, New York Times.com, Unilad. <laughs> but then also very interestingly right beneath that is dailywire.com yeah both of those entries are incredibly important uh yeah. daily wire because it was the kind of first resilient version of breitbart like breitbart was not resilient it was many things but it was not resilient uh and then also big lad arrived <laughs> big lad yeah big lad. <laughs> yeah it's fascinating and then if you go to the 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 top 25 towards the bottom you have Lad Bible at number twelve. Also, what I think what I think is fascinating about this is the number of articles they publish. So, so number one thing, the number one thing uh, is Fox News, which has in this era thirty eight million Facebook engagements, uh, but publishes forty three thousand articles. Unilad gets about a third of that, but publishes seven hundred articles. I mean, that's the power of lads, right? Lads <laughs> love to share. Yeah, they do love to share. But yeah, I think that is that is genuinely really fascinating, kind of the the aggressive O performance of it. But at the same time, Daily Wire publishes like twelve hundred. So when you look at Daily Wire and NBC, which are doing uh Daily Wire's doing about half the number of engagements as NBC, but NBC is publishing almost thirty eight times as much content. Yeah, they're publishing a fuckload. Yeah. They are doing a full throw everything absolutely everything out the wall but what's interesting is that like so who's publishing the most here yahoo.com is publishing 169,000 articles <laughs> a month i mean yahoo.com just brings in feeds from every other website so it's publishing every other website's articles so the daily wire and unilad are both published no okay wow okay so unilad is publishing the least yeah and- it is. it's publishing basically nothing and excluding Yahoo, the India Times is publishing the most. 
at 45,000 articles. Yes. Huh. <laughs> oh, God. It's, yeah, it's absolutely wild. It's also crazy that, like, Vox has disappeared. Yeah. And all Vox sites. Like, and also, like, a lot of other publishers, like Slate, Vox, all the red websites, Time, Newsweek, like, they're not, they're just not here. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so the next interesting one I think to jump to is December 2018. Uh, December 2018, uh, Fox News number one. Again, Daily Mail number two, BBC number three. Daily Wire is now number four, ahead of New York Times, which is fascinating. And Breitbart huh. is, Breitbart is back in the top ten. But more interesting, huh. more interesting than this is they also start publishing around this time the top web articles on Facebook. So specific articles rather than just Oh, this the, is dark. The, this is where it gets really dark. So oh the God. number one website is GoFundMe. Or sorry, the number one post on any website is a, a post on GoFundMe, which is click here to support We the People Will Fund the Wall, organized by Brian, Brian Colfage. Yes, this is this is the this is the build the wall scam. Num- the w- website number two is guns.com. <laughs> <laughs> Website, oh god oh, honestly the top six actually the top seven of these are the single most perfect encapsulation of politics in america so it's gofundme we will fund the wall number two is guns.com iowa school district at hunter's ed course to be curriculum number four is texas hill country hospital continues tradition of sending babies home in stockings oh my god number five is breitbart abortion needing cause of death in 2018 number six is hope for our times Canada's supreme court rules lgbt rights come before your religious beliefs number seven is new york post principal bans candy canes says jay Sh- shape stands for jesus uh number three new york times elizabeth warren announced she was running for president wow that's it that's the whole thing that is the whole thing that's what everyone else is looking for and and and, yeah liberals are extremely happy that elizabeth warren is running for president yeah wow but it's also interesting to me how like one of the trends that i've sort of noticed in doing this with you through this episode is that like if you go all the way back to where we started you go at like I don't know. You go to the end of 2014 and you've got publishers once again doing what I would consider viral content. Yeah. And not like UGC viral content, not like viral, like viral videos or something that people are finding, but like people are making stuff and that stuff is going viral. Yeah. And it kind of stays that way until the beginning of 2015. And by the middle of 2015, you have viral stories like you have uh, a little things post about like a dog it's deleted now but it's the wait i think i know this i think i know this viral dog story hold on <laughs> is this the one i i can think of oh yeah it's right <laughs> it's the denali sled dog story there you have the dog story and you have a few like traditional publishers, but a lot of it is still what you would consider like viral stuff. You have lists still. You have a BuzzFeed list called 23 signs you've actually become part of your best friend's family. Yeah. And then you start to see the rise of instant articles that yeah. same that same that same month. And you have like uh Germany's publisher build and the Guardian experimenting with it. And then you start to see lists going away. And you start to see traditional publishers coming in. And 
what I think is fascinating is that if you go ahead three years back to December 2018, you have almost all traditional publishers at the top, but then you just have like random nonsense bullshit actually being shared higher than everything else. Yes. It is kind of, it becomes like a, a volume versus impact thing. Yeah. Like have, like if you go down to top Facebook posts, you have things like rainy days, Facebook page sharing a native video about like palm art, like drawing art on your hands. And you have like pictures about wolves and you start to see like the rise of like influencers, like Nas daily, that like guy who does, uh, yeah, like yeah. inspirational world content and you have like photos being shared from Ryan Reynolds. So you start to see the viral content moving from creators to users. And then I think that's, I think that's a very interesting trend here. And I think it explains a lot of behavior yeah. <laughs> during that three year period. It's basically, it's, it's kind of, it, it becomes, it goes from non, basically goes from non legacy publishers doing lots of breakout stuff to legacy publishers kind of all doing a lot of mediocre stuff to legacy publishers continue to do that but individual creators massively outstripping them on single things like basically individual creators are now swinging for the fences like that's the thing that you need you need the thing that does a million shares not the not 10 posts that do ten thousand. yeah okay here's a really good example of this the most engaged news article of December 2018 is, I guess, technically the guns.com article. <laughs> <laughs> it is an article about Hunter's Ed being taught in, in a phys ed class, which is insane. But also, like, I don't know, maybe that's helpful. Who knows? It's in Iowa. And it, it had 1.8, uh, it had 1.8 million engagements. The top post was the hand art video by the Facebook page Rainy Days, and that had 2.5 million. In fact, three native posts were higher than the most engaged article. So, like, people aren't leaving Facebook anymore by this point. That's also happening. Yeah. Like, content on the site is is massively now overperforming content off the site, which yes. I think is part of this okay so we're we're almost at the end of our list here we only we only have a couple more so what are we looking at now um so we're gonna skip to june 2019 okay daily wire is now sixth in terms of the total web publishers which is you know wow remarkable again though the top web articles on facebook are fascinating the number one thing is a vimeo thing uh, about well, undercover ne- dairy investigation. I've never even heard of this. The number two is a nine gag post. <sighs> wow. Which is like, what, what year is this? What is and hap- then Wait, this is 2000, this is 2019. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, there's some stuff in there. There's a couple of, uh, CBS news things about, you know, John Stewart, and uh, women getting the right to vote and all that stuff. But number five is a site called realpharmacy.com. Spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. Pharmacy. Yeah, I assume it's about farmers. Oh, I assumed it was like a um, like a new age fake medicine website. Let's see. Hold oh, on. that could be that. Let's see. Let's see who got who got this right. So the top story on realpharmacy.com right now is <laughs> wearing gloves could be doing more harm than good. <laughs> um, the, another one is how to use oregano oil to treat common infections without drugs. Yeah, this is 
This is like a natural medicine website. That's what this is. Okay, cool. But I think most interesting are the bottom three in this list, which are 13, 14, and 15. So the 13th, 14th, and 15th most engaged articles on Facebook in June 2019 were pjmedia.com, herbs-info.com, and kindakind.com. The third one of which, the headline of it is post kinda kind kindness is badass which is one of those things you look at and like what are we doing here post post i kinda kind i kindness is bad <laughs> it's what is kind of kind what is kinda kind.com let's see <laughs> i i love looking these sites up they're all uh bananas. it doesn't exist anymore of course it doesn't oh no it does kinda kind kindness is badass Dog who kept sneaking into Dollar General for stuffed purple unicorn gets his toy and a new start. Uh, it has not really done anything since, like, March? Sure. Okay. I mean, yeah, you um, just intimately just run the Pamos, one of the biggest websites on Facebook, and then you just stop. And then you just, yeah, well, you know, your contract is ended by the Russian military, and so you no longer <laughs> have to destabilize a country, and so you can just wrap up. Uh, fascinating. Okay. So... So we're gonna we're gonna skip forward to December 2019 now. Wait, oh wait, wait! I have one one thing to point out here for for before we leave June 2019. If you go down to top web publishers, there is a whole interesting shift that's gone on here. And at number twenty at number twenty five is Insider.com. That is interesting. And you're beginning to see a more interesting mix of like strictly web publishers and the big boys. Which I think yeah. is fascinating. I think what's also really interesting is number 21. Uh, higherperspectives.com. All right. Let's play a game. Do you think this is religious or about marijuana? Uh, this is inspirational. And I know this because I've been watching this fucker for a while. Wow. Their tagline is connect, reveal, transcend, higher perspective. And they are, uh, wow. This is, this site is unbelievable. This, uh, the article that I'm reading right now is called Seven Signs You're a Healer Without Even Knowing. Yeah. Now wow. we're going to go to December 2019 and we're going to see the punchline to that site. Okay. December 2019. Go to the top web, web, sorry, go to the top web publisher on Facebook and read me number six, number 16, and number 20. Number six, number 16, and number 20. So number six is higherperspectives.com. <laughs> They published 100 articles and received 30 million engagements. <laughs> oh, my God. Then we have PowerfulMind.co at number 16. They published 81 articles and had 17 million engagements. That is actually astounding. That is a yes. truly astounding ratio. And then, what, 20? We have WakeUpYourMind.net, and they published 233 articles, and they had 15 million engagements. At which point you have to look at this whole thing and be like, so what are we doing here? And I know I've said that a few times, but it is absolutely mad that, that Facebook is kind of in an attempt to improve its improve the amount of time that people spend on it has discovered that publishers like these are incredibly important and has over indexed for them. I have a theory. I have a theory about this. Yeah. At the beginning of our journey in 2014, there were, I would say like a dozen well-funded, well-staffed, creative digital outlets who spent a lot of time and a lot of energy figuring out how to get people to read stuff on Facebook. And then many of those websites either were acquired or they went under or they pivoted to video and obliterated themselves. 
Very few of them lasted until 2019. But what did happen was a bunch of people took all of that research and were like, oh, yeah, I could do this. And so (laughs) a bunch of random people created the, like, elite daily of whatever they gave a shit about or the BuzzFeed of whatever they cared about. And when Facebook wanted to turn the dial back to where they were five years prior, it ended up just elevating like all of these insane new age blogs and like all of this, like eating oregano to cure cancer kind of stuff because anyone could be a digital publisher now because they had seen how to do it. And what's going to be really interesting because I agree with that theory is if you go up and look at the number one, the website, the number one, web article on facebook in december 2019 and what website that came from whoa (laughs) okay so it is from linkedin.com and it is titled never apologize for being a strong woman yeah i mean we learned a lot from the bit that led up to the 2015 election but also this list of articles is what i now see facebook as like it hasn't to be honest we will do like the most recent one of these after this but this it has not hugely changed from this list here, which is LinkedIn, New York Daily News, Alatia, never heard of it, Board Panda, TheHeartySoul.com, iHeartIntelligence.com, CommonDreams.org, Petness.com, WFLA.com, and ChristianToday.com. Like I don't know any of these sites. It's amazing. I I mean I I assume a lot of the Christian content in the top fifteen is because it's December, but. Also, sure. we've looked at previous years, December, and like none of them are like no. this. So this is this is incredible. This is sort of like what this is like sort of like watching like a fascist dictatorship take over a country. Like yeah. this is like watching like have you ever seen those photos of before and after the Taliban in Afghanistan where you yeah. have like people in like convertibles and they're like drinking Coca Cola and then yeah, it's like yeah. s- smash cut. Here's like the Taliban's version of Afghanistan. This is like watching the Christian American version of that happen on Facebook. This is fucking crazy to look at it is it is one of like i it's one of those things that i I look at every now and again i'm kind of like is this a thing is this that weird but then when you look at it all in one go it's like wow it is astonishing how far this has moved it's also fascinating if you go to the top web publishers list it's crazy how like every era of the facebook like machine is here like breitbart is in it unilad is in it a bunch of like random new age blogs are in it the hail is in it for the most part, like if you were able to get in during one of these periods and like not lose your mind or like like screw up your business model, you stayed here and you stayed a t- you stayed part of the face uh, you stayed part of the Facebook ecosystem. And I assume BuzzFeed's not in here because they have asked Newswhip specifically not to like record them. I believe they have. But, yeah. So I assume they would be in this list. But it is fascinating that like. Vox, the thing that I keep coming back to, they created an entire podcast and video and Netflix arm, and they're a profitable real company, and yet they're not in the top 25 Facebook publishers. At least as they might also be asking not to be ranked, but it is strange to me. It is. All right. So we should now go to the ve- most recent one of these. Would you like okay. to take a guess at who the top web publisher on Facebook in June 2021 was? June 2021. Fully modern day by okay. minus like three months. Okay. So I'm going to say, before clicking, I'm going to say June 2021. So that was a couple months ago. Wait, hold on. If this would help, uh, this site did double the engagement of any other site. Top publisher. The top publisher. Yeah. It did twice the engagement of any other site. I'm going to say Fox News.
Okay, interesting. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm like I, that 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 is one of the most shocking things I have ever seen. It's Daily Wire. Yep. Which is uh it's Ben Shapiro's site. Ben Shapiro's website. I always get confused with the other one which is Tucker Carlson's. Yeah. So it's dailywire.com and it's doing basically 60 60 million uh 60 million what? Uh, six million engagements engagements which is double what the next one is doing which is the daily mail and then third is fox news and then fourth is rumble.com which i think is the right wing yeah it's the right wing youtube yeah and and then you have cnn the wait sorry the fact that cnn is being is is getting five million less engagements than the right wing version of like like newgrounds is fucked. Yeah, this is one of those lists where you look at it and you're like, "Oh dear, this isn't this isn't good. This is so bad." I mean, four of the top web articles are from UNICEF. Yeah, there's a bunch of New Age stuff. This is a mess. Do you know what it reminds me most of? What? Uh, basically, email forwards circa yes. about 1998. Yes, this is like it is. It is really, really fascinating to me to keep switching back and forth between these because, like. People listening to this, you might not believe me when I say this, and I understand that you won't believe me when I say this, but like, <laughs> when I was in college, I wanted to work online because it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know this is hard to say, but like, there would be parties you would go to, and you would tell people you worked for whatever website, and people would like ask me, like, oh, like, what quiz have you made? Or like, what article have you done for Vice or wherever I was working at the time? Like people, by the way, Vice missing from these. <laughs> Another one, which I think is interesting. Not a single one of these included Vice. No. So to see like Facebook go from a thing where like the the hippest and brightest minds of our generation were like trying to figure out how to make cool stuff for it to Rumble dot com, which their top their their top story right now is Farm Dog gives Cult Friend a good morning kiss. I mean, the fifth, the fifth, the fifth website on the most shared web articles is Awareness Act, and it's the coming strawberry supermoon is going to push all the signs into emotional overdrive. Which it could. I don't know enough it about do. strawberry supermoons to say that that's wrong, but <laughs> I just think it is so fascinating how much brain drain has happened to Facebook because, like, if Facebook, w okay, so if Facebook was a publication, which I believe it is. It basically went from being like Facebook basically went from being like our generation's version of MTV. Yeah. To actually our current version of MTV. Yes. <laughs> which is just a nothing channel that nobody watches. But it's it's just fascinating to me. Wow. This is this is this is mind blowing. This is also the longest podcast we've ever done. This is incredibly long. We're not, you're not going to podcast next week, so this is a very long yeah, one. This has to last you. What is your takeaway from all of this? What is like your final thought? My takeaway from all of this is that everything, the moral arc of the, in, the internet is long, but it bends towards gibberish. Yes. The algorithm eventually produces nothingness and, and like nonsense. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like anything. It's basically like, you know, if you're in, I'm trying to think of like comparing it to offline things, but it would it it is the same thing of you spend an awful lot of time having different things come up and eventually you get to a point where you're not no one's saying anything, no one's learning anything, no one's picking anything up, and it, everyone's just talking nonsense. And that's where we're at. I now. would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think 
I think there's a very dark cultural story being told about particularly America, but also maybe the whole world via what we've looked at today. Yeah. I don't think Facebook is the driving force in the same way that a lot of people do, but I do think Facebook had a million ways to turn down the volume on this stuff and they did not. And I do believe that they created a machine that now is automated into doing this and is only getting, as you said, like more gibberish and worse and, and more radicalized. And I think, I think the only saving grace of all of this is that like the most engaged, the most engaged web article of June, 2021 had 1.1 million engagements. The most engaged web article of December 2018 was 3.2 million engagements. Yeah, that's probably and relevant. If we go back to 2021, there is only one thing with over a million engagements, whereas in 2018, that was not true. And you could say, okay, maybe they're engaging with like on-site content more, but I don't, I don't get that impression from this. And I, I, I have to think that if you've created a website where the Daily Wire Ben Shapiro's like little pop-up website or whatever it is, is doing double the traffic of the Daily Mail, the most read newspaper on earth. Like people aren't using your website as much anymore. Also, uh, I was going back to find a web article thing and I land on August 2018, which I skipped previously. And we have, we've underserved Big Lad in this era. And in August 2018, the biggest website on Facebook was Lad Bible. And the fourth biggest website was Unilad. Well, there's really no way to know what pumping the internet full of that much um, inherently misogynist <laughs> male-driven content could have done to culture around 2018. There's just really no way. I assume I assume only good things. There's really no way to know how that will impact a generation of young men who are coming uh, of age right now. There's just no way we'll know. So. So I guess I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to do content to consume to stay sane because we've we've. Can I gone... do? Can I do a? Th- can I do a thirty second content consume to stay sane? I was going to ask how how was Shang Chi? That was good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed having different non Western cultural influences in it. I really enjoyed its. Uh, I can't remember the word for a bit like the Wuxian influences on it, and I think that Marvel is getting to a point where it needs to acknowledge that its historical issues with villains where the villain is me but evil uh is now a structural issue of just how the thing flows okay i haven't seen it yet that's my whole thing yeah okay sounds good though i was trying to, i was trying to come up with a feedback that it wasn't yeah, yeah spoiling too much but yeah i'm reading the manga berserk right now it's not very good but it's one of the most famous manga ever made and so i'm sticking with it but the creator died before he could finish it so i don't know how it's gonna go but i'm reading that right now it's okay i thought i thought that might be us recording this podcast at one point Thank you guys for listening to this show. I know this was a big, long one, but this will carry you until uh, next week, the week after this, whenever you're listening. We'll, we're, we're gone for a week. Uh, we're going yeah. on vacation. Yes. Not together, thank, thankfully. And uh, if you check our Patreon this week, you will find a bonus post-post credit scene, an early post-post credit scene. We're kind of screwing up our schedule, but that's okay. Uh, I'm dropping it in It's Spider-Man 2. And we're going to go over there. And before we pass out from talking to each other for too long, we're going to try to record (laughs) that episode. And and we will see you in two weeks. So thank you guys for listening. And uh, see you on the other side of rest and relaxation. So yeah, bye. Bye. Bye.